Welcome, everybody. We are joined this week. Jeff is under the weather a little bit while his whole family's under the weather. So I am joined for a little mini episode with a guest co-host with Sam Bradshaw of Sikkim 365. And Sam, why don't you take a minute to kind of introduce yourself, your story, how you became a Baylor fan. I know you contributed to Sikkim 365, but I'm assuming you do have a day job. You have a real life. Who are you? What what do the people need to know? Well, uh, first off, thanks for having me on and I uh, hope Jeff feels better, uh, first <laughs> and foremost, and his family as well. Uh, but yeah, i Baylor fan as long as I've been going to Baylor or graduating from Baylor. Uh, love the X's and O's of the game. I contribute with Sikkim 365. Uh, my contributions on the site are largely centered around who are we playing? What do they do strategically from a scheme standpoint, from a roster management standpoint, and also how do they perform statistically? So I'm doing all of that each week. And then occasionally, if there's something where numbers analysis makes sense, such as TV ratings and realignment, I'll chime in there. But generally, it's focusing around the scheme of Baylor and who they play and how those match up. So you are my counterpart. This is great. Um, So Let's before we jump into the preview of this game, let's kind of talk about and we did kind of run through a few weeks ago on our show. Um, we ran through some of the articles that you put out. And so you really kind of you, you went, I guess, hitting hard at uh, like John Wilner and it was his face, Consano, the Pac Collins and Stuart Mandel, all the people hyping and trying to say that the Pac 12 media numbers were were so good and it the the basically the PR campaign from the media for the Pac-12 and you dug in and you went back through literally like every single game back to 2012 right or like as far as you could get numbers from sports data or sports media watch or whatever that side is so I guess kind of what do you think what were kind of the summation of your findings or what did or I guess or what do you think where do you think the big 12 the, I guess the yeah the big 12 and a half, 14, you know, going forward with the big, the new big 12. Um, what, what do you think that that TV deal is looking like, or what do you think is, you know, how does it compare? How's it going to stack up to, you know, the ratings of the ACC and the PAC 12, obviously the big 10 and the SEC, that's its own different ball game. Well, there is a uh, lot that's there. <laughs> um, so to say the least, I'm going to have to break that up into a number of things. Um, the history of, my looking at that is I figured it would be something on people's mind as the big 12 was considering expansion back in 2016 and leading up to that season, I'd done some work on television ratings, but then our site moved from the 247 platform and went independent. So right as I'm ready to publish it, they uh, say, Hey, we're moving to a new platform. Then the season starts, people want to know about the games. Then they brought Matt rule in the following season. They want to know what about that. So it just kind of kept getting pushed to the back burner. So I had a lot of that data to begin with. And from there, there's a lot of things you have to do to clean up the data. How do you account for network differences? If it appears on ABC in part of the country and ESPN2 in part of the country, well, you can't give them full credit for ABC, but how's a fair way to split it? You know, right. Um, And then also everybody's games that don't make it into national television rated networks those games tend to be the worst games with the very rare exception of, okay, Alabama hasn't appeared on the SEC network this year. Let's force them on there for a game. With the exception of those, you're not dealing with games that are going to get big numbers. But when you do a simple average of however many games somebody has, you could very easily be comparing 11 games of one team to two games of another team. Mm 
And the example I cited in my articles of how this can wildly impact the results of your averages is technically in 2018, Vanderbilt had a higher viewers per game for the games that we have data for than Miami. But the little devil in the details there is Miami had 11 games, including games against Florida International. And I think even Towson or somebody else small Whoever their FCS was, game was. was in there. Yeah, was in there tanking their average. But you're comparing that against Vanderbilt against Notre Dame and Florida. Somehow, I don't think this is apples to apples. So two ways I tried to control for things in my analysis in the absence of enough time to really do some advanced analytics on it. You either compared same network, same time of day, and made sure it wasn't some unique window like Thanksgiving week or Labor Day week or championship right. week where the number of competing games are very different and the amount of attention that an individual game is going to get as a would be very different. And the other way that I accounted for it is getting back to the number of games you sample. Let's compare the top one game per school, two games per school, three games per school, so on and so forth, as long as we have apples to apples. And as a result of that, what you see over the last decade, CC's out in front, the Big Ten's on their heels. Then for most of the last decade, the 10-team Big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma in it, typically we're third. I think there was like a year, maybe maybe two during that span where one of the other two leapfrogged them. Um, but for the most part, that's where the way the one, two, three's gone. And then the ACC and Pac-12 have basically traded places as the fourth and fifth throughout the decade. And then the AAC is well ahead of the Mountain West and the Mountain West is ahead of the other three. <laughs> you know, And that was the breakdown you had throughout the decade. And what I found doing an even number of games analysis is that the Big 12 and Pac-12 both lost teams, and that's going to drop them below where the ACC is now in terms of average TV ratings over that period, if you exclude games against the departing four. Because you're not only excluding games where you're playing those teams, but you're also excluding a significant portion of your ABC or ESPN or Fox network appearances. Right, and those channels the do a lot better. You know, um, I think a primetime game on ESPN2 will, the median value for that is like less than a million. Whereas, you know, if you have a primetime game on ABC, you're, you're doing poor if you're in the two millions. You know, right. it, it's a very, very different set, setup. And Fox Sports 1 performs worse than ESPN2. So if you have a lot more games reach nationally, nationally, eh, nationally rated networks and if you have them dragging down that average and especially if they're on a weaker network like a fox sports one like an espnu it's not going to be an apples to apples against comparing somebody's abc games and espn games and as a result of that when you account for the departing four the big 12 and pac 12 in my analysis came basically in lockstep with each other the remaining eight and the remaining 10 were in lockstep on that. And then uh, from there, the new additions for the Big 12 were close enough on that, that with better competition, you would, you would expect them to fall mostly in line with that. So it's not like there's a huge spread there. Um, where I think a lot of these national writers and West Coast writers got into trouble with a lot of their TV analysis is they were simply saying, 
without Texas, without Oklahoma, without USC, without UCLA, without looking at is the sample of networks even remotely realistic for a contract that would be going forward? Right. And in what you end up with the Big 12 is because you have the round robin, everybody plays everybody. The top two games on everybody's schedule are Texas and Oklahoma, and they're going to put them on ABC and Fox virtually every week unless they're having a disappointing year. And as a result of that, you end up with a number of appearances on network channels, whether it's ABC, ES, ABC, Fox, NBC, CBS, and then ESPN, the only cable channel that can give you good ratings um, on a power five comparison, at least. And the total number of appearances for that was half of what the American averaged over the last handful of years. And that is not remotely realistic when you took the schools providing most of that value to the American and BYU who had four of their own. So yeah. at minimum, you would expect this group of 12 teams to at least have that many, but right. you know, it, it's just not a realistic sample. And it, it so, was when I was looking through that is the most interesting is how it's like they completely ignore because there are no ratings at all for any game that's on the PAC 12 network. And so if you look at that, that's like a third of the PAC 12s games. And so even I just did a precursor. I was going to go through, you know, similar to what you did. And then you and I talked and you said you had your article coming out, all your, not even your article, your series of articles. And I said, okay, I'm not going to reinvent that wheel. It's like, it's, there's no reason for me to dive into that. Cause I was finally like, okay, I'm going to do like, even beyond just taking out those games, like I'm going to go team by team. Like I'm going to do a logistic regression against, you know, with those actual individual teams and, you know, try to figure it out. And then, just doing some exploratory data analysis. It's like, oh, okay, the Pac-12 gets shoved to all of those night games. USC and Oregon are the only two teams that ever get an afternoon game and everything. And then with the sheer number of games that are actually even on ESPN2 or better, if that's like the low rung of your TV totem pole, there's still like twice as many games in the Big 12 that the Big 12 was carrying versus the Pac-12 because of all the Pac-12 network games, which even if you said like, we're on par with ESPN U or ESPN News G5 games. It like it the numbers, like the raw average that they try to parade out is like yeah. the Pac-12 is better than the Big 12. It was just it, it was an, an embarrassing level of thing. It kind of reminds back to I, I'm a very ardent supporter that we need to stop teaching calculus in high school and like st stats needs to be like every stats needs to be the required math class that you need to graduate from high school because it is the most important and most applicable to a random person who is reading an article when they try to do some type of numbers and you could read it and be like, this doesn't pass the SIP test. Yeah. And getting back to your point about the PAC 12 networks, um, the PAC 12 networks, they made a play to shove a lot of the inventory onto the PAC 12 network. So they could hopefully cap capture carriage fees within their footprint and get millions of dollars that way. It didn't quite pan out the way Larry Scott wanted in that regard, but the big 12, on the other hand, they were able to sell a lot more games over the air and that leads to a lot more exposure, which is, Net, net, it's good, but for the purposes of raw averages that don't account for how many games per school, what you end up with, and this is an example I ran with in the article, is 2015. Both Arizona and Oklahoma State had home games against the UTSA Roadrunners. UTSA tanks Oklahoma State's average, but it gets ignored on Arizona's. That is not apples to apples. Right. That is a slanted sample. And what you find when you look at the individual schools, exclude the departing members, and we'll allow for at least a little bit of network difference here, even though a more fair sample would account for that. 
if you just account for the number of games, you don't end up with the kind of insanity that Mandel's article, like Cal is more valuable than all but two Big 12 teams. No, um, you, you end up with Oregon's in front, then Oak State, then Baylor. Then I think you have one. Then I think you got Washington and Stanford and Utah right after that, and TCU's in the mix. Then West Virginia, and it's more of an even comparison. And you actually had some that were lockstep with each other. I mean, Arizona State and Iowa State. Until Arizona State ran out of games, they were just trading leads at each data point, and it was right. pretty interesting to see. Um, and it, it makes sense. I mean, Oregon's the school that has their biggest games. It's one that had some, has had the most national national relevance. Washington's probably their biggest historical brand that's remaining. Um, you know, they've got the 1990 national title. They've got some other well-known players. And then beyond that, um, over on the Big 12 side, Oklahoma State has not missed a bowl game since 2005. And they probably should have been in the national title game in 2011. They had a big season last year. They had big seasons in 2016 and 2013. And then Baylor, um, you've had some up and downs with different coaches coming in. But for the most part, you've got RG3's Heisen season and leading up to that sample. Then you've had then you had three years where you went into November with national title legitimate chances. And then, you know, 2019, you are an overtime player or two away from a from knocking off Oklahoma and playing LSU in the playoff. And then this past year, you win the big 12 and you had, you had a chance if one of one of those games went differently to potentially be in it. So, I mean, you're talking about the schools that have had probably the most mountaintop seasons during the past decade are one and two in terms of TV ratings, which is what you would expect because in the big 12, everybody's had some nationally relevant seasons since 2007 yeah. And none of them are really historical brands, but they're all known for being really strong at, and being competitive teams. So it, it makes sense that the TV ratings would trend with whoever's had the most recent national success. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, it was. So you can we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but how many did you end up putting out? It was like three or four now that you've I, I did four. I did four. I did one covering how different conferences performed one covering how different teams performed and one showing the value of what tv windows do which you know technically i think the most accurate way to say it is the network you're on and the number of competing games you're up against is probably the better way but because right. college football schedules tend to be habitual year over year you know the that Black Friday is going to have relatively low competition, so that is a TV window to call out makes absolute sense. Uh, Friday night is going to have less competition than Saturday night, so on and so forth. Um, and then I also had the initial one that came out that I was hoping to not have to write, but uh, I saw Mandel's article going viral, and I figured let's put some context in here. You know, uh, this just does not mathematically add up. Um, so let, let, let's get some more, uh, let's, let's get some more light on this subject. Awesome. So yeah, we'll link to all of those in our show notes as well as put that in our Friday newsletter. So everyone has some, something to do while they're pretending to work on Friday afternoon. Um, so let's kind of pivot now into the game on Saturday. What do BYU fans need to know about Baylor? Obviously we're familiar with the offense because we gave you our offensive coordinator and your offensive line coach. 
And so we're familiar. It was a very, kind of very, very nice gift um, leading <laughs> up to the Big 12. Thank you so much. You are welcome. And the so last year, obviously, we played and we just got pushed around in the trenches. And it, it, I think it was kind of a wake up call. Our staff after the game said, you know, that it was like it, it was kind of a wake up call of like this is the the brand of you know of the type of schools that we're going to be playing every week going forward starting in 2023 so we need to kind of pick it up and get in the gear so I know you did lose a lot last year so I guess what can we expect and it's I know I saw the I didn't go back and watch your game last Saturday but as you walloped an FCS team so it's it's really hard to kind of glean much from a game like that when it's against an FCS program so I guess what it what should we expect on Saturday from this well, year, from this team, and then and kind of for the rest of the season from Baylor? Well, the thing is, Baylor's probably got the best defensive line that they've had since the days of Santana Dotson. Yeah. You not only have Siaki Aika knows, but Chidi Obanaya backing him up, and Jackson Player, who is all conference AAC transferring in from Tulsa on the For, Former BYU player. commit, Siaki Aika, actually. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm aware of that. <laughs> Once upon um, a time. But, uh, yeah, it's amazing. LSU just really tough to recruit against coming out of high school. Imagine that. Um, But, no, um, Gabe Hall and uh, you've got Cole Maxwell, TJ Franklin. You've just got so many long athletic dudes. They got a lot of functional strength. The D-line is going to be one of the big impacts here. You've got a really good linebacking core. You lost Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie, but you like what you've got moving Al Walcott to Petrie's position. And then a combination of Matt Jones and Will Williams at the Will linebacker spot, it, they've been pretty solid. So most of the questions are in the secondary where you lost JT Woods, where you lost Kalen Barnes, you know, but they like the upside athletically that you got there. You just got to see them get more snaps. Offensively, you return all but one starter on the offensive line. I think the right tackle's still out, so all but two temporarily, but he'll be back, and his backup saw a lot of time before. You return all your tight ends. You're Technically, you lose Bohannon at quarterback, but that's because he got beat out and transferred. Right. You know, so that is probably going to be a big upgrade. Um, Bohannon – was a solid quarterback, but in terms of touch passing, in terms of having a sense in the pocket and Shapin's not as athletic as Bohannon is, but he's capable as a scrambler and a runner and probably has a better sense of when to scramble and how to buy time. Uh, just kind of that intangible aspect of it. Um, you obviously lost two of your headliners at running back and you got several guys that are athletic and fit the mold of what you're looking for that can step in for you. But obviously you got to see him do it. They looked good in the first so game. Both and again, Abram Smith Alan and um, and Tristan Ebner, Ebner. they're both yeah. gone, right? So, was, and those they destroyed us last, especially Smith. Like that was that game was brutal. The second half of that game was not fun to watch at all for us. It, very exciting for you, but horrible for us. Uh, right, and then you lost your top three receivers, Tyquan Thornton, to the NFL, where he was looking to be a potential starter for the Patriots before he got hurt, and he'll be back for them. And then R.J. Sneed transferred to Colorado when he was taking a look at the playing time he was likely to get. And then uh, you also lost uh, Drew Estrada to graduation. So you got a lot of young, very high upside guys. Uh, and for those who don't know, if it was a Matt Rule recruit at Baylor, with very rare exception, you're talking NFL measurables across the board, even if they're like some two-star or three-star. You're 
talking about guys that were recruited as much for their hundred meter time as their film betting that they can develop them. So right. you've got a, you got a number of guys who'll who'll really bring the speed there and they like what they've got from Monterey, from Monterey Baldwin and they got to transfer Hal Presley out of Auburn. Who's a big size speed target for them. They've got a number of guys who can step up for them. And they're still kind of shaking out who those guys are going to be as the season goes on, but you've got a lot of options and you got Gavin Holmes who's come back from two knee injuries and had a punt return touchdown for last week. And he also could be a big factor at receiver as well. So you're basically set in the trenches. You're probably upgraded at quarterback, your tight ends and your linebackers are solid. It's just really more on those receivers and running backs and some parts of the secondary. Other than that, you really feel good about where you're at. Right. And with those skill positions, especially it's like, I mean, if you have a line where you're returning four starters from a very, an already very good line, and then you have one of the best offensive line coaches in the country, if not the best in Jeff Grimes, you know, you or I could probably at least get three and a half yards of carry playing running back, right? Like we, we could do all right there, but it's, you, you know, you do have, when you're losing guys to the NFL, it, it does definitely, it's, they're not, even you can replace them with a ton of talent, but that experience is, is hard to replace. Um, so I guess, what do you think? So how do you think, um, I mean, do you think the approach or what you've heard of like the approach of kind of the offensive style will slightly change given that you have a little bit of a younger quarterback, even though he be, did beat out Bohannon. And then obviously you lost two great, very, very talented and experienced running backs where it's like, are you going to kind of like, do you think the, play mix will shift it all or kind of or do you think it's going to be more of the same that you saw last year given well, think, the slightly different skill set that Shapin has and then the younger talent at the skill positions I think the passing game is going to be more diverse and I think you'll be able to stress defenses that way but as far as whether you're going to run it or throw it more than you did before you know they'd mix Bohannon in as a runner occasionally but it wasn't like the kansas state colin klein years where oh wow we got this big quarterback let's run him up the middle again and just batter people you know it wasn't quite to that level of frequency it was much more of handoff left handoff right do some play action and then occasionally mix the quarterback in so i don't think it's going to be this huge difference not having as much of a runner back there and to be fair shapen is athletic enough to be a runner it's just with his build you don't want to get him beat up Right. Uh, so I, I think the play mix will obviously have a little more quick game, a little more scheme that will benefit from his touch passing ability. I think the playbook can stay open with the run game, but obviously you want to limit the number of hits he's getting. Um, but really, I mean, it's still going to be wide zone. It's still going right. to be play action. It's still going to be some RPO. It's the same system you guys have had. And you probably saw some. Right variations how they handled it when they moved from uh when they moved on to jaron hall after losing uh, losing zach wilson yeah losing losing to the new york jets you know yeah so i mean you're going to tweak it to who you got but i don't see any overall this large scale overhaul i mean they threw a lot against oklahoma state in the big 12 title game but by the same token there oklahoma state was putting everything on get to the quarterback dare him to throw and then by throwing 17 straight completions and until they busted his shoulder it was about to get uglier than that um you know so and then you know it 
it's an interest. It's going to be interesting to see how it evolves. I think it's going to be a tougher offense to defend once they get it rolling, but you got to get those young skill guys up to speed. Yeah. How do you They obviously the, how do you think the weather or not the weather, sorry, the altitude, like do the, will that come be a factor? And then when do you, I guess, what is a normal time that when does Baylor typically play? Cause that's something where we experienced last year, both in our game against Boise and our bowl game. And then the game against you is where, being in the mountain time zone, we get slotted for that late kick often. And our guys have said that like when we play in the, like the two o'clock in the afternoon game, like it's weird. Like it's out of our rhythm. Like we don't normally play that late. Like our normal game day routine doesn't fit in, in such a compressed window. So I guess, how do you think like the home field adventure, when does Baylor normally, do you guys have like a normal time that you can count on that you normally kick off that? Or is it pretty diverse? You don't because you know, you could be playing at 6 p.m. Central. You could be in that 2.30 afternoon slot. Or if you're playing in one of the bigger games, if if your school hasn't been in a conference that has a TV contract with Fox, one of the things Fox has gotten in the habit of doing recently is they put their best game at noon Eastern. Right. You so know. you're at 11 Central. Yeah. So you've got as much of that as you've got prime time. So it's going right. to be a bit of a mix up for what they're used to because Baylor just doesn't play late games that late very often. Right. And, you know, so that's going to be different. Altitude's always a challenge for those that are not coming from altitude. So strength and conditioning is going to be key. And I think, I think they feel good about where they're at and definitely having uh, Grimes and Mateos on staff will certainly uh, stress the point yes. uh, that you got to be ready for that. Awesome. Well, thanks for stopping by. And where can uh, where can our people find you? What is your Twitter handle? I think it uh, it's it's not just it's not your name. It's something. No, something it's uh, at Baylor underscore S eleven, and I do a lot of different breakdowns of not only the opponent scheme but also Baylor's. So, for instance, I when we hired Randa, I did a breakdown of his defense, how it lines up, how they use simulated pressures and creepers in order to get pressure with four, but the right four you know, and they are able to stress protections that way and things like that. That's a lot of the content that I'm doing there, but uh, based off the reception to the TV rating articles I've had, I'll probably be doing one in, in the off season every year. Yeah. I, uh, I think, I think it's, that was really easy and very top of mind people to digest, but I think uh, we'll definitely, I'll grab some links to some of those X's and those articles, because I think that's definitely fans uh, tend to like to become smarter fans and learn more about the game. So that is a great thing that you are doing. And if you ever manage to get your hands on some all 22, please send me the link. Cause it is damn near impossible to find. <laughs> so thanks again for joining us. I'm sure this won't be the last time uh, now that we will be, uh, you know, conference brothers next year. Oh, one last thing. Have you, how do you, some people, and I think I saw a thread on like Reddit TV talking about like naming this game as a, as a rivalry game, given it's the two most, obviously TCU is a religious school, but they kind of de-emphasized it some. So being the most outwardly religious schools in there, have you heard a like jokingly rivalry game name for this game? Because I, I think it will grow into one and with the, definitely the reception from Baylor uh, from BYU fans, obviously playing last year and then playing, having this series already going and then you know Baylor they sent us some stuff to mount in our athletic department as gifts like as welcome gifts into the league so it was a very warm welcome from from your athletic department that was very much appreciated so as have you heard a name that you think is funny or that, that you liked I have not heard a name for this I know that 
people have kind of stuck revivalry on uh, Baylor TCU, and they've obviously put holy war on BYU Utah. Yeah. Um, you know, the the only two that I could think of off the top of my head would be Evangelism Bowl, or um, if Mormons are anything like Baptists, maybe a Potluck Bowl. <laughs> Yes, I've heard some people say the potluck. There was like a thread on Reddit. It was like naming some people said like the potluck or kind of uh, they said like uh, preachers versus prophets or the Bible bash. That was a good, that was a funny one that I liked. But, or uh, there were a couple that were like semi-derived, like some called a cult classic. And I was like, okay, that's self-deprecating, but funny. I can appreciate, I can at least laugh at that. But I, I'm, I'm very excited for this game going forward. Um, and I think it's going to continue to be a fun game with two schools that, not only, I mean, obviously just both being religious schools, but also for the time being, they play a very similar style of football beyond, you know, just what, you know, having, you know, being the same offensive tree, um, but just it kind of seemed like the same culture mentality of approaching the game. So thanks again for hopping on. We'll send people your way. And hopefully this is not the last time that our paths cross. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us on.